Travel creates stories. Unforgettable stories that can make us smile, laugh, or even cry. I'm David Calderon, and you're listening to Out of Office, powered by Contiki. On today's episode, I'll be getting tips on what to see and do in Europe and how to take that perfect picture while traveling. But first, it's time for real talk. Many of us have personal struggles, and often our mental health can be affected. With social media and pressures to look a certain way, young people have started hitting back with body positivity and other women-led social movements. It's a topic that's being talked about more and more, but is it the same when it comes to men's mental health? And how can travel help us improve mental well-being? Joining me to discuss this further are my guests, the model, actor, and activist Mina Gurgis and rugby player and creator of the online magazine Mentality, Stevie Ward. Welcome to the podcast, gentlemen. Hey. Nice to be here. Thanks for inviting me on. So, Mina, when you were growing up, what sort of messages were you exposed to? You know, for me growing up in the Middle East, it was a completely different culture where there's a huge asphyxiation on like masculinity, you know, not only just acting masculine, but looking masculine. And the way that you look masculine is, you know, you look athletic and you're going to the gym. I never fit into that. Like I remember as young as I was eight years old, um, my mom put me on a diet because I was chubby. No, at eight? Yeah. And it was this weird grapefruit diet where you only (laughs) ate grapefruits because my mom read some article that it was like, you know, that that burns fat. So yeah, as, as young as eight years old, I was on this diet and it really shaped the way that I think of my body as as though I really needed to change it and make it look different so that I could fit in, let alone, you know, being gay in the Middle East. We're told that you can't be Arab and gay at the same time. You just shouldn't exist. So there's a lot of these really conflicting messages that made me feel like whether it was because of being gay or whether it was because of my body that I needed to change or that I shouldn't love who I am. What sort of impact did all that have on your mental health? Because now you're coming from two angles of it around your body and your sexual orientation. The very first time that I struggled with my mental health was around the time that I was 16. And it was because I was coming to terms with the fact that I'm gay um, and that, you know, that may mean that I'm going to lose my family and that I'm not going to have and that I may be disowned. And that really shook me a lot. I was depressed. I just lost my appetite. And then I I started losing weight because of that. And I was also, you know, coming to terms with the fact that I'm gay. And the very first thing that I did when I was trying to get to know, you know, what does it mean to be gay? Again, because in my culture, we don't talk about it. And, you know, Googling like gay Mm -hmm. men and the very first thing that pops up on um, Google images is, you know, very thin, muscular men. I look in the mirror and I'm like, okay, well, I don't look like that. So clearly, um, if all the Google searches show this, then this is how my body needs to look. Um, So yeah, it was, it kind of was this feeling depressed and feeling isolated and feeling lonely. How did you get out of this way of thinking? To be honest, finding people online that made me feel like, you know, finding other gay Arabs out there online, which was very hard. I started making these videos on YouTube where I was talking about feeling lonely and and not knowing who I am and struggling with my identity. And, you know, people started, who are also Arabs, started finding me that way. And then, you know, when it comes to my body image, I found all these uh, incredible women who are talking about body positivity online that made me feel like, okay, maybe I shouldn't feel like I need to hate my body or maybe I'm, I'm not alone in all of this. So definitely seeing other people talk about it really helped me feel less isolated and then uh, work from there to feel better. 
Yeah, and we definitely know it's a it's a topic that most people don't want to talk about or open up about. But you decided to use your platform to speak more about body positivity. How important is body positivity to you? I mean, when I was looking at body positivity, the the conversation is dominated by women, and while that was really helpful for me, it still also made me feel really isolated because I was like, well, why aren't men talking about this? Does this make me? Is there something wrong with me for feeling this way? And mm. I felt really ashamed. To be a man. I mean, I remember when I first told my mom that I was struggling with my eating disorder, she laughed and she said, Men don't have eating disorders. That's a women thing. Eating disorders and body image issues don't discriminate against you based on your uh, your gender. They affect anyone. So yeah, this it became a very important thing for me to like use my platform to break that stigma or those stereotypes that men aren't affected by this. And to kind of create a space where like, okay, you and I can talk about this. We can talk about how it impacts our mental health and how it makes us feel alone and, and the pressures that society puts on us every single day to, you know, look athletic and, and be muscular and, and the impacts that that has on us. Yeah. So going into that, what kind of pressures do you think men are under and how do you think this is affecting men's mental health? Um, I mean... I still think about it uh, about it now when you if you open any magazine if you even if you still you know Google um, men on billboards it it's still every single uh, image that we see of of men out there in mainstream media is a very muscular chiseled man we don't see the very real things that all of us have like stretch marks or bellies or love handles and these are all things that we have, but we don't see them reflected in mainstream media. Um, and so I think that that sends, mm -hmm. again, this really harmful message that in order for you to love yourself or in order for you to find value in your body, that's how you should look. Now, Stevie, you, you're a rugby player, and obviously you have certain pressures as playing in a sport. How has this affected your mental health being a rugby player? And what are the specific sort of pressures men like you face in the sport? Yeah, so um, I think being a sportsman, um, it's pressures from from lots of different areas. Obviously, there's a physical pressure to, to be in, in that kind of fitness zone and what ticks the boxes to, to perform out there on the field each week and week in, week out. But also there's the, the mental performance side of things as well, which I think is only starting to be kind of... Um, tailored for or people to really start to zone in and look at it there was a, a time when when I was out of a 12 month injury mm -hmm. and this is where I started looking into it because I've had various long term injuries and I realised that I'd not done much work into managing uh, the pressures and, and you, you ask about specific pressures you know it's it's you could one week you could be you know at an absolute peak, you could have, have won a game, you could have scored the winning try in a game, um, but the next week, something might have gone in the wrong in the week or you might have got injured the week after. So it's it's peaks and troughs and it's constant roller coaster. It's almost a condensed roller coaster. And mm -hmm. I've had real, real opposite end of the spectrum kind of experiences. So what I've looked at is, is mental health. I've looked at mental health just as people would look at physical health. And for me, we're not going to stop the pressures. We're not going to stop those sort of challenges that we have mentally, just like we have physically, but we can look for different perspectives, we can look at different 
practices. We can look at different ways to actually deal with it. So you said you had real opposite ends of the spectrum experiences. I know you've had a really bad experience with injury. Can you tell me about that? I've I've had quite a few. In, in, when I was 19 years old, 2014, I dislocated my shoulder and damaged all the nerves down my left arm. Oof. Um, that put me out, yeah. That put me out for, for nine months and I struggled with that. I really struggled with that. Um, so 2017 came round and it was another shot to get into this final, this specific grand final. And the week before, I dislocated my shoulder. I had to, to come off the field and go to A&E and sit, sit on an A&E bed, bed for... I sat in A&E for a good five hours trying to get my shoulder back in. Couldn't get it back in because of the previous operations. Um, yeah, and I had to sit um, up all night and, and wait to go to theatre the next morning, 9am. Yeah. And this puts me a week before the final. Uh, my shoulders only just got put back in. Um, and I remember, I remember just before I went down into theatre, um, before I, I got put to sleep, and there were a male nurse there and... Um, I was obviously devastated. The emotional pain that I went through that night and the physical pain was was almost like it, it just it got to another level. And um, I said to the male nurse, I said, "What do you reckon about next week?" And he says, "Well, get your shoulder put back in, see what damage there is, and and you never know." And then it were like lights out, boom. Um, I was back awake after I'd put my shoulder put back in. Um, still in a lot of pain with it. And struggled a little bit with with the fact that I wouldn't be playing, but almost went into a bit of a period where I could kind of see things really clear and have a bit of perspective. With your injury, this this is where you kind of like started to kind of like very much like focus on like how it was impacting your mental health. Yeah, I mean that that was that was a time where I think all the stuff that I learned over men, um, of mental health the past two and a half years up to that point came in. I had the opportunity to kind of respond to the stimulus and and pick what I wanted to do. Um, so long story short, I said that everything in that week that would happen after this injury would would entail and, and help me to play in that final and with it win win that final and and that of course happened. You know we were, we were champions at the end of the year and I played in the final and for eighty minutes uh, made forty tackles with a dislocated shoulder and um, and you won. You know, I, and we won. And it you was, won. It was magical. <laughs> it was absolutely magical. Yeah. Now, off the tail end of that, why did you want to dis- why did you decide to create mentality? I was doing rehab in the morning. I was finishing for about eleven a.m. and I was staring at the the ceiling, the physio after getting treatment, and you know, finishing by eleven a.m. And, and doing what you want is you know sounds like a dream, but for someone who's always strived and you know I've always tried to achieve and, and get to the next thing. I was living away from my values, so I realised that I didn't want to go back to that that place and and go back to that place of depression, really. Mm-hmm. So I decided to do something different um, and and launch myself into this bit of discovery on mental health, and at the same time put mentality out there, which started as an online magazine, but now it's got an online club um, for people to learn more about mental health and and to to add to the commu- community. Yeah. So what does mentality aspire to do for men? We want people to look at mental health, to change the mind on mental health and to actually address that we're not going to eradicate mental health and we're not going to eradicate the problems that come with mental health, should I say. Mm-hmm. Um, but we can definitely look at managing it and, and dealing with it different perspectives as well. Yeah, and there's uh, it's one of the things that people have to realise it's never going to go away and it can't go away, but it's all about just how you combat definitely. it and how you handle it yourself. Definitely. Brilliant. Brilliantly put. Now, Mina... 
there was a point where all the pressure really took a toll on your mental health, and you developed an eating disorder. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? I think because of uh, because of my eating disorder, I I didn't really know that there was anything wrong with what I was doing, and it only took until I had um, a mental breakdown because I I remember I had this. Um, um, I had a picture of this like really muscular guy from a, a from a magazine as my as my uh, wallpaper phone like mm-hmm. on my phone. And every single time I would, um, you know, if I was going to go eat something unhealthy, I would look at this this picture on my wallpaper and be like, "Well, if you want to look like this, you probably shouldn't eat that." Or you know, I would use this picture to kind of justify like, um, you know, spending five hours at the gym, for example. Um, and I remember one day I was just you know really exhausted and and you know, the, the impacts of, of starving yourself were really, you know, I was feeling it. Um, and I remember looking at my phone and then looking in the mirror and I was like, after everything that I'm doing, I still don't look like that. And Mm -hmm. it prompted this, uh, this mental breakdown for me where, um, I just, I remember feeling upset that I just wasn't good enough despite all this effort that I was putting in. And especially with social media, because you see everyone, you know, going to all these like nice, like summery holidays, you know. So especially when you travel, there's a lot of like pressure to look a certain way, a pressure to look good on like holiday. How have you kind of like come out the other end and like combat that when you go traveling? I think that, you know, it's a great conversation to have now because it's kind of the same issue of like, oh, it's the summer, so you have to have a summer body and you have to beach yeah, body ready. Beach body and like you know, for me, pride is is in a couple months, so you know you have to ha- get your pride body. We've put so much emphasis on preparing our bodies for these trips when the reality is, you know, it doesn't, it shouldn't affect the way that you enjoy being on vacation. Um, so, I have worked really hard on preventing myself from going on diets uh, purposely before I, I go on trips. You know, mm-hmm. I force myself to not diet. I force myself to not go on these crazy workout routines because I think it's so important to just learn to be comfortable in your own skin um, and be able to learn that you can enjoy your time on vacation without feeling like your body needs to look a certain way as a criteria for you to feel confident. Stevie, for you, how can travel have a positive impact on your mental health? Yeah, I think uh, what what Nina mentioned uh, there has got some really good points about about being comfortable with with where you're going and and, and knowing where you where you're going. I I really really like to enjoy going to somewhere I have no idea about. Um, so put myself out of my comfort zone um, and and challenge myself, learning some something about a different place. Um, and I think. You get away from the gravity of, of, of everyday life. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, I think what I love about traveling and the impact of it on mental health is, you know, when I was going through my, my eating disorder, I felt a tremendous pressure to live up to a certain way that my body should look because people knew who I was. And so what I love about mm. vacationing is you go to a place where you don't really know anyone and no one really knows you. So you don't feel self-conscious about, you know, needing to uplift or uphold a certain image of yourself because, you know, I keep reminding myself when I go traveling, I'm like, so what if I have a, if they see my belly, I don't know these people. I'm never going to see them again. I'm never going to see them again. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's a really liberating feeling to be on, on vacation where, you know, you can let go of, of your insecurities, um, especially if you feel them around, you know, if you know that you're going to be seeing people that, that may know you and that, that may be um, difficult for you. It's like, no, I'm, I'm not going to see these people again and I could just enjoy my time. Yeah. 
Now, Stevie, out of all this, you ended up traveling to India with Kontiki for a travel project. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, so I really wanted to learn more about how different people lived, learn more about a different culture, learn about how how they held themselves over in India, you know, the different people you could meet and, and how they operated and, and what their beliefs were. I was really, really interested in that. So what were the biggest mental health lessons you learned while you were in India? Yeah, I think... Uh, there were quite a few lessons, mate, that, that I'd learned. And I think you learn about kindness and community, how important that is over in India, how you can prove your inner psyche wrong. As a sportsman, I, I know that, that very well about going into the arena every week, but also learning to believe too. Can you explain to me what you meant by your inner psyche being wrong? Mate, I, as a sportsman, I... Um, you you have, to, you have to combat that a lot of the time. You have to combat your inner psyche, which is... You know, you don't want to do stuff, you're frightened of doing stuff, you're nervous about doing stuff. Every time that you delve into those situations or you, you put yourself out of your comfort zone, you prove that wrong. Mm-hmm. And I remember going to a, a Bollywood dancing lesson and I remember thinking... Your first one me, ever? This is a, yeah, first <laughs> one ever. I'm a, mate, I'm a rugby league player from up <laughs> north in England, <laughs> right? And and I'm going to going to a Bollywood, Bollywood class and... I was the most uncoordinated guy doing it, right? And and everyone, the, the room's full of mirrors. Everyone can see what you're doing. I was had a little nerves and tiredness in there. I was kind of ready to shut off any possibility that it was going to be positive. Mm-hmm. But I was really wrong. I really, I really was wrong, mate. Um, it, you know, it was it was awesome. I absolutely loved it. And I think going outside your comfort zone and, and doing those things that your mind telling you to do wrong stretching that comfort zone and coming back with some confidence and belief people need to understand that to keep pushing themselves and to keep doing stuff that they originally think they might not want to do because you come back a lot happier and and you grow a lot from it too more and more people are talking more about like mental health but why do you think men still struggle to talk about mental health even now yeah i think i think it's good i think we've had a really good chat um on here and and it's people are actually starting to talk about it and, and starting to open up to the fact that it's you've got to look after your mindset as well as as your physical health but i think there's still um pressures um you know in in my situation as a, as a sportsman you have the pressures to perform um and that obviously does affect you mentally because you've got to keep striving and you've got to keep um you got to keep competing. Um, I think. I think generally, um, for men, it's they don't want to be seen to be weak, um, mm-hmm. but are vulnerable. And I, I always say the message. Um, you know, you've got to be vulnerable to improve. That's it's it's counterintuitive, but we've talked about reflecting there. If if you have space on vacation when you're away, but you've got to have that space where you reflect um, and do a bit of looking inwards just to see. If you can be vulnerable and the way to improve and, and to kind of assess your mental state because it's scary and, and it's it's something that people are taught to do and, and it's not really in, in everyday media or, or everyday society but it's definitely something that, that people need to learn to do and um, become stronger. It's, it's Without a doubt you can become stronger from, from opening up to, to mental health whether it's a problem or whether it's you want to get better to, to operate mentally too. Mm-hmm. And you mean it? Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with uh, what you're saying, CV. It, it feels like for us to talk about um, human things makes us uh, weak. And, yeah. you know, the thing is, is so many of us end up 
struggling by ourselves and it at it becomes this like really terrible circle where you know you're depressed and you feel alone but then you know if you talk about it then you aren't manly enough or you're weak or um and then that makes mm. that prevents us from talking and then that in it in itself makes us feel even more lonely that's why yeah we we have to talk about it we have to make it we almost have to make it cool to talk about your emotions we we have to change that narrative we have to be like yeah what's wrong with talking about these things that so many of us experience and to let people know that yep. you're you know we're not alone yeah admitting weakness is actually strength yes yeah. yes exactly what other tips would you guys give to people in terms of helping them with their mental health I just say that the first point is is to become conscious of it. I always remember one of the the tour guides. Um, he was an Indian fellow. He was a is a Hindu. He didn't have much, uh, but what I did do is is what I loved doing and showing people around India and the culture. And I always remember something he said. Um, he said, we, "Wherever we are, reality is coloured by the dye of our own interpretation." Um, and I feel like you know people. They never sit down to really look at, at their reality and, and how they're viewing things and, and what their perspective is. We spoke about people traveling and um, and really changing that perspective and, and kind of taking new things in. But you've, you've got to look at how you're, you're thinking about things, whether you're questioning things too much. And also just, just about how you can operate better. Can, can you meditate more? Are you getting stressed too much? And there's so many different things, but I think it's looking in specifically f for who you are and, and, and to know yourself and your values individually to, to be able to go out and be the best version of you. Yeah. For me, I think something that um, has always been really helpful for me is to disconnect from anything that, you know, makes you feel not good about yourself. You know, I think of how negatively impacted I was by, you know, unrealistic images of, of men all over my Instagram feed. And one of the first things that I did was to unfollow a lot of these accounts that make me not feel good about my body. And just the tremendous impact that that had on my mental health and my self-worth was huge. So I definitely recommend people disconnect when they when they have to and I think travel also kind of really helps with that because you're forced to be off your phone you know there was a certain point when my mental health was really bad and I, I took eight months off of uh, Instagram and at the time you know I remember people were like but oh my god what if you lose all of your followers and I was like I just want to be happy. I don't care if I lose the followers. Comparing yourself makes you feel like you're not good enough and that feeds into insecurities and, and bad mental health um, issues. So definitely my biggest advice to people would be disconnect when you have to. Yeah, because it can easily just snowball from like little insecurity to something much larger. All right, guys, thank you so much for taking part of our podcast. A really big thank you to you, Mina, and Stevie once again. Thank you guys cool. for having thank us. Thank you, mate. Really enjoyed it. Thanks so much to Stevie Ward and Mina Gurgis for opening up to me about mental health. Now it's time for the part of the podcast we're calling Travel Porn. If you're ready to find that next destination to post from on the gram, then you'll love what's next. This is all about the epic, unique, and often undiscovered experiences you'll want to check out for yourself. In today's edition of Travel Porn, we're going to find out about 2019's hottest European destinations with author and travel photographer Aubrey Dequinag, a.k.a. The Love Assembly. How are you, Aubrey? Hi, I'm really, really good. Thank you. Thank you for coming in. So, Aubrey, where are you from originally? I'm originally from Sydney, Australia. Okay, so how long have you been in London now? 
I have been here for officially, I would say, since January this year, which is about three months. But oh, wow. I've been traveling back and forth for about six months. So you're here to tell us about the top destinations for 2019. So where would you start off as your number one place that you want to go right now? Okay, so number one, I'm really fascinated by the Nordic countries and they contain so many natural wonders. So number one is definitely Norway. Okay, so that that's like the Northern Lights and all that stuff. Yeah. Okay, I haven't been, but goal too, yes. Yes, definitely. I love the combination of nature and city life. I want to see it all. The incredible mountains, the unreal rock formations of Trolltunga to everything from like Oslo's architecture and museums. I, I agree. I would totally 100% go to Norway. So after Norway then, what would be your number two? Number two is another Nordic country, which is Iceland. I feel like it's just another world. If you want to experience a country that's completely opposite from how you grew up, I think Iceland is definitely that. And seeing the Northern Lights is definitely a given in a country like Iceland. Okay. I also want to see the... Blue Lagoon, which is in Iceland. Oh, what's that? And it's like just this incredible lagoon that's filled with geothermal seawater and it's also beneficial for your skin. And there's a lot of photos, haven't you So seen? you can go in there? Yes, you can definitely uh, dip up, in. Instagram, <laughs> Instagram moments. Yes, and it's definitely really good for your skin. So there's a lot of um, minerals and it's rich in so many of those things that are good for premature aging. Okay, and so going now. Yeah. <laughs> And making you look good. So, yeah. All right. Okay. So, number three. What would be your number three? Number three is Turkey. So, there's Pamukkale, which is also a mineral hot springs. And it's just off limestone deposits that I've left behind by running water. It's just mineral springs that look like clouds. Where is this in Turkey? Pamukkale. Pamukkale. Oh, okay. That's where it's at. Yeah. So, it actually means cotton castle in Turkish. Okay. And it... The photos just look incredible. So that's number one. But then that's, that's your number one of your number three in Turkey. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> because there's also Cappadocia, which is awesome as well. There's the hot air balloon rides that I've seen photos of. And oh, I, I know exactly feel, what yeah, you're talking about. I feel like that would be incredible, not only to see through the hot air balloon, but also just photograph it when all of the hot air balloons are in the sky. Definitely do it. I've been to Istanbul. That's the only place I've yes. been to in Turkey. So, I mean, I had a good time. I was there for a weekend, but I saw the Blue Mosque. Nice, so that yeah. definitely was worth seeing. And then I ate like way more baklava than I needed to. Oh God, I'm a sucker for markets too. And in like in my latest book, Wonder Love, I wrote a whole chapter of markets. So I feel like the markets in Istanbul. Oh, the Grand just, Bazaar. Yeah. It's it's. Comp- it's, it's I need to go, yeah. <laughs> you, you will get lost, but I guess that's half the fun. Yeah, and find some treasures, I yeah. think. All right, so what would be your number four? So number four is Scotland. There's no doubt that Scotland is beautiful, but particularly Isle of Skye. So I remember my first impression of Scotland was when I first got to Edinburgh. Okay. I looked up and I literally, my jaw dropped from the architecture because... It was just incredible. I've heard like all the castles are just like ridiculous. Yeah, over there. yeah. So um, I guess Isle of Skye is next level though. It's an island in Scotland, and every highway is lined with waterfalls around every bend. There's medieval castles, landscapes, and just the mountains. Just so beautiful. There we go. See, I'm going to add this to my 2019 list. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, what would be your number five? Number five is the Dolomites in Italy. It's in northeastern Italy, and I generally like to gift myself with 
an outdoor activity for my birthday every year. And the beauty of the Dolomite landscape, which is also a UNESCO World Heritage Site, would be unreal. All right. So what would be your sixth place to travel in Europe for 2019? The Netherlands. Um, I visited Amsterdam on a weekend escape for okay. Valentine's Day just a couple of weeks ago, and I loved it. It was a short trip, but it makes me want to see more of the Netherlands just because, yeah, it was it was such a beautiful city. And it's a walking city and biking city, which is really nice because I love to explore in a way like that. All right. So what is your last place, your seventh place that you would want to go to in Europe for 2019? Okay, so amongst all of the mountain ranges and that winter kind of vibe, I've got Portugal on the cards for the beaches, endless sunshine and delicious food. Exploring Portugal through my stomach is a (laughs) must, I think. I'm a Taurus and they say a way to a Taurian's heart is through their stomach. So I feel like I would just eat everything because the cuisine I've heard is heavenly and it's influenced highly by the Atlantic. So some restaurants serve seafood practically straight to the table from the sea. And I love seafood. Okay. So they're like, I just caught this this morning. Here you go. Yeah. Thank you again, Aubrey, for coming in and letting us know your top destinations. Got a burning travel question you need an answer to? That's what the next part of the podcast, How Do I, is here to help with. We're going to let you know how to bring your A-game when it comes to your next adventure. We all want to get that perfect picture for the gram while we're away. So to tell us how to make that picture perfect is travel filmmaker and content creator Jake Rich. So you're a travel filmmaker. How long have you been doing that now? It's been I guess, a while. I mean, specifically traveling the world probably the last five years. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, so when you're traveling... When it comes to, like, phone photography, do you think it matters what kind of phone you have? Do you notice a difference between phone types or the generations of phones? I'm sure there's, like, certain cell phones which will offer um, more features and, and capabilities within their camera functionality. But I think if you were to just break it down to the gist of it, like, each cell phone will be capable of capturing a great image. Yeah. Now, which one, which one do you personally use? I've been a bit of an Apple fanboy for a while. I've kind of just continued to use Apple as they've brought out new devices. And I mean, I'm continuing to learn like new things about my iPhone. Like over the weekend, I was shooting some stuff um, just around here. And like on the iPhone specifically, if you swipe up like in the photos app, you swipe up on on an image, you have like this ability to edit the photo in four different ways. And one of the features provides like a long exposure style, like framing. It's really, really cool. Wait, it's what? like, I, I, I have to yeah. this down real fast. Go, so if you were to go into your camera roll now and just yeah. click on an image, um, oh, I think provided that you've shot the image in live photo mode, if you've used live photo mode and you swipe up on a live photo, you can edit it to this incredible degree. So yeah, even things like that, I'm learning all the time. Yeah. Makes you kind of wish they made a manual. <laughs> oh, a hundred percent. Like, I mean, I guess that's what YouTube's for. <laughs> right. Like, so what do you do, Jake, to make a picture perfect? I think the first or at the top of the list um, is to frame up the shot and to put yourself in it. Mm-hmm. So um, often when I'm shooting, I'll find a really nice sort of picturesque landscape um, and I'll frame up a shot with my eyes and go, oh, okay, 
there's a really nice frame. Like those mountains are in the background and I'm on, there's a rock there that I can go and stand on. And I'll either use a tripod or I'll hand the cell phone to a friend and say, hey, can you see this frame? I'm going to put myself right there. And can yeah, you click the shutter? Take this exact picture. <laughs> <laughs> Do not yeah. move. Yeah, direction definitely helps. But yeah, often I just will pop it on a tripod and use like an interval style shot or even just like a countdown timer mm-hmm. and um, take a couple of shots. I'll you know, it's kind of like the advanced selfie. <laughs> yeah. All right. So what would be your second tip? Tip number two um, is to experiment with perspective. Like the one thing that I hate or the one thing that I really like look for in an image is something something that kind of keeps me curious about the photo. Like I really don't like seeing flat images. Um so whether there's some depth or there's some something dynamic about it that, that keeps me curious and intrigued. Mm. Uh, like a lot of the time, um, because I'm always out capturing content by myself, I'll, um, I'll, I'll play around with shooting in both first, first person as well as like getting a, a meter long selfie stick and having different crops and different lengths to the image. So I shoot a lot of GoPro content, but back to the smartphone, like if you put the smartphone on a selfie stick, um, maybe try and extend it to its fullest Mm -hmm. um, and see if you can sort of put yourself in the frame that way. Or um, maybe like, (laughs) this is a bit of a cliche image, but like if you're sort of sitting on the top of a mountain and you're looking out and you can kind of put a hand or like your feet, like something which will sort of allow, immerse the, um, the, the viewer to sort of feel like they're there. Mm-hmm. I really like that. I'm like a huge sucker for perspective. All right. So what is your third tip then? Uh, tip number three is lighting. Lighting, I think, is like one of the most crucial parts of a good photo. And I think that makes that's really like the... The difference between an average photographer and a really good photographer is those that know how to use light. Um, And, you know, you can instantly like level up your photos by capturing images at the right time. You know, I think often when we're traveling, you know, we just take photos because it's convenient. But Mm -hmm. if you push yourself just like a little bit more and you set that alarm just to get up one for one sunrise, you'll be amazed by like the colors of the sky. And yeah, your so you're Instagram talking about kind of like shooting like golden hour, right? Totally, yeah. So you have an hour like before the sun is up and just before the sun sets when the light is at its most beautiful of the day. And I think that's like a really important... Well, I mean, a lot of photographers, you'll see them run around with tripods at that time. It's like, it's yeah, it's the best time to be shooting. So that, that would be tip number three. All right. And then so tip number four. In tip number four, it's about editing. And mm-hmm. sometimes if you haven't, um, if you haven't captured uh, the perspective or like the depth of field, you can sometimes do it in post-production in your edits. Um, I use uh, an app called Lightroom Mobile mm-hmm. um, to, to often change a lot of the colors, but also to add some... Um, dynamic range to my images like often if I'm shooting for uh, like a photo on my phone I might get something which looks a little flat but if I pop it into Lightroom and I increase some of the contrast and I pull down some of the saturation it instantly will give the image a lot more dynamic range Um, 
and and, and you, you don't need you don't need to have Lightroom like you can do that simply in Instagram. Um, but there's some yeah there's some really great apps which can help you to take an image that is good and turn it into something that's awesome. Yeah, um, I think a lot of people yeah. kind of forget when they're looking at their like favorite like Instagrammers and stuff like that, and they look at their pictures, especially when you look at the feed as a whole, like aesthetically, like they're like, how are they making all those colors match like so perfectly? Like, how does that, like, that's, <laughs> that doesn't exist. Like, it's literally like Lightroom. Totally, totally. That's, I mean, that's all it really is. Like, but yes, you can, I mean, some people can like analyze an image and be like, oh no, look at this histogram. Like the whites are absolutely peaking. But you know, at the end of the day, like the, the beauty of the image is in the eye of the beholder. So whoever's actually looking at it is going to judge it. Um, so yeah, it's fun. It's super fun. Now, all right. So what is your fifth and final tip to make the perfect picture? The perfect picture. Okay. So perfect for the my fifth, <laughs> my fifth final tip is to try and like make a connection, um, with a sub or like use a subject. When, when, when I look at an image and I see uh, like an incredible landscape, but I'm able to scale it to perspective because there's a person there. Mm-hmm. Um, it really, it, it allows me to feel like I'm, I'm, I'm in that image, you know, and, and yeah, I, I think um, that's what that's what we we humans are always seeking. Um, we're seeking that connection, and and when it's just a, a place, sometimes it's hard to to really draw any emotion it's, from it. Yeah, so, it's hard to emote with it's just like yeah, I agree with that. So that would be um, you know my five sort of simple tips on taking better photos with your cell phone. Um, I you know I haven't really spoken a lot about technicalities you know like touching the you know phone to bring highlights up or you know because a lot of smartphones if you touch different parts of the screen you know that it focuses on different areas yeah and you can like raise um, it up swipe up or like swipe down to like kind of change the exposure or yeah the lighting yeah yeah i mean like those kind of things which um you know which could we we could spend another (laughs) half hour talking about but yeah but i think for apple (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. But I think these kind of five broad tips, I think, are, are really great places to start to mostly to get your head around thinking about, all right, I'm going to try some of those things. So I hope they do help. And like just another note on that, like especially for travelers that are going to popular landmarks or popular tourist destinations, you know, if, if you really want to get a good shot, you have to beat the crowds. That's yeah. That's imperative. Like I think one of my most like recognizable shots is it's a first person shot um, of the Great Wall of China and there's not a single person on the wall. And that's such a rarity to have like no one like walking the Great Wall of China. And Mm -hmm. the only reason why I was able to do that was because I was literally like, I went out by myself um, just with a guide and we got there before the gates opened and they they, they actually let us go in like just a little bit before they opened the gates. And even then there wasn't anyone. Commitment. Yeah. And thank you so much for giving us your top tips for helping us to make a picture perfect. We know that's really helpful, and I'm definitely going to check that one little tip about editing on that iPhone that you mentioned. So, but thank you again, Jake. No worries. Thanks for having me. That's it from Out of Office, powered by Contiki. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. Next up is the very last episode in the season. I'll be getting to the heart of India's female revolution with travel vlogger Nadine Sakura and speaking to some incredible women in India who are leading movements for gender equality. See you then.